Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Anytime during my 10 years, I could do this. That's power. That's power. It's time for the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. Here's your host, James Curl. All right, folks, welcome to another edition of the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. We have our normal crowd of folks here at Amedios, and we always encourage you to come on down here to Amedios and check out the show for yourself. Uh, the uh, the football season's rapidly dwindling, so if you're hoping to come down here and enjoy some of our fine uh, <laughs> college football discussion, uh, you're running out of opportunities, but obviously basketball season's just around the corner as well. So we do hope that you'll come on down to Amedios and catch one of our show tapings and uh, you know say hey, and if you can't make it to one of the shows, come on down to Amedios and you know just let them know that you are here because of the podcast. It always helps us out. And uh, we like to mention, as always, at the top of the show, the folks here at Amedios do take care of us every week. And uh, this it looks like is going to be the week where the Amedios restaurant out in Apex opens up. The uh, opening is officially set for uh, tomorrow, the 27th. Uh, their hours are going to be 10.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Friday, or excuse me, Monday through Thursday. And then Friday and Saturday, they'll be open uh, 10.30 to 10. And then Sunday, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. So if you're in the western part of the county and you're looking for some of that good uh, Amedio's Italian cuisine and you can't quite make it all the way into town, excuse me, all the way into uh, to Raleigh, definitely swing by and check out the new location. Uh, I need to swing by there. I want to see if Dave has done some of the same decorating there that he has here. I'm sure uh, it's got uh, a fantastic decor uh, like it does here at Amedio's. But um, uh, I want to see the new place for myself and just see what it's like because I can only imagine uh, that it looks absolutely wonderful. So, again, that's uh, tomorrow or actually today if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Amedio's in Apex. Amedio's Pizza in Apex opens up. Uh, be sure to stop by there, and like you would do here, just be sure to mention that you're there because of the podcast. That always helps us out. And, uh, yeah, check them out. It should be uh, your one-stop location for uh, fine Italian cuisine. Two stops now. <laughs> That's right, two-stop location for fine Italian cuisine here in Raleigh. And, uh, and of course, you know, with it being homecoming, there's going to be a lot of folks coming into town uh, that – uh, live else, you know, elsewhere, or, you know, all throughout the state, across the country, mm-hmm. coming into town for the uh, you know Clemson game. It's going to be a three thirty kick. So if you need a, a good place for dinner after the game, definitely come on down to Medios and check out uh, you know the fine food they have here. You know, you'll be surrounded by I'm sure plenty of other NC State fans. You can come into the bar area and watch some of the other football games that are you know going to be happening later in the day. Hopefully, uh, we'll be talking about a huge win over in uh, Clemson. But, um, you know, uh, whether win or lose, it'll be a great time here at Abedios. So, 
Uh, Matt Purdy, how are you doing, sir? Doing well, James. I think it's funny you mentioned people coming from different states. I actually have people from three different states coming to stay with me. Oh, nice! All for this game. So, are you um, are you charging them, or is this just family and friends? We'll, we'll see. <laughs> You're not running a hostel Let, out of your apartment. I may, I may require like a deposit or something, like a right. safety deposit. <laughs> And uh, we are going to be joined here in the first segment by uh, one of the folks at ESPN who does a wonderful job covering the ACC football. Uh, he, I, I want to ask him this question because I wasn't sure when he actually started covering the ACC for ESPN, but uh, David Hale is his name, and he is joining us on the phone. David, how are you doing, sir? Good, guys. Thanks for having me. Glad you could join us, and uh, thank you for taking some time to be with us. Um, when did you start working uh, at ESPN, and, and when did you pick up the ACC football beat? So this will be year four. This is year four for me. Uh, the first two, I was based in Tallahassee and mostly covered Florida State with a you know ninety percent Florida State, ten percent ACC. Uh-huh. Uh, the last two years, I've been in Charlotte, and so now it's more uh, spreading the wealth, I guess, a little bit. Right. So. Is that uh, you, I guess, by virtue of your you know, past experience, you are quite familiar with FSU Twitter and uh, a lot of the, <laughs> the, uh, the, I guess, the involvement, uh, to be kind, uh, with some of the, uh, their fan base on Twitter. It's, it's not something that uh, is alarming or scaring to you at this point. You're, you're well used to it, I'm guessing. I, I managed to survive 2013 and all of the Jameis Winston stuff and – uh, all of that. So I think at this point I now can survive any social media backlash uh, from, from anyone. It was not uh, not the most pleasant experience ever, but you know they're a passionate group, and I think that's you know as the ACC fights the the ongoing narrative of being the uh, you know redheaded stepchild of the Power Five conferences. I think that uh, having Passion among the fan base, even as misdirected as it might be by FSU Twitter sometimes, is an advantage for the league as a whole. Right. Well, it is interesting uh, that you mentioned the fact that the ACC is still kind of viewed as the the redheaded stepchild of the the Power Five conferences. And, I mean, the ACC is, you know, it's it's up and down, uh, but it is. It I, I do think it you know has played some great football. You know, certainly over you know recent past. I mean, of course, FSU won the title in you know just a couple of years ago, uh, and Clemson is looking just like a world beater this year. Uh, wh- how can um, how can you best you know summarize wh- you know why I guess the ACC is still fighting that uphill battle to you know gain that credibility in the eyes of a lot of folks outside of you know the ACC footprint? I think there's a couple of things. I think number one is that regionally it overlaps with the SEC, which is problematic, I think, from a media standpoint, because the media is, you know, 99 times out of 100 going to default to covering the SEC, not because I think there's a legitimate SEC bias, but because there is a ratings bias or a page clicks bias. You know, people, the media are going to spend their very limited time and resources on the stories that will generate the most response. And the SEC outkicks the ACC's coverage on that by a long ways, pretty routinely. Um, and it's not to say that that you know again that one league is necessarily significantly better than the other. But look, you know, terrible South Carolina teams were drawing eighty thousand to their games the year they didn't win any games. So that just doesn't happen in the ACC. So there's a level of enthusiasm with the SEC that that is significantly higher. 
And unfortunately, the ACC goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with that regionally on a day-in and day-out basis, whereas you know, the Big Ten, the Big 12, or the Pac-12, they have a unique footprint, whereas the ACC has an overlapping footprint. I think that's part of the problem. And part of it is, too, that, I mean, look, for the better part of a decade, the ACC really was terrible. There was not, you know, during the dark years at FSU and, and Clemson was, you know, consistently an eight-win team, but not a whole lot better than that. Um, there just was not an elite program in the ACC outside of maybe Virginia Tech. And um, so what you had really there through most of the 2000s was just a really bad run of football. And I think it's taken a long time to shift that narrative away. And, you know, the other thing is, too, is, is you know, to some extent, Florida State and Clemson are good every year, and they're a victim of that those expectations as people just sort of expect them to be good. And the ACC hasn't been able to find a consistent three, four, five, six on the roster that, that allows Clemson and Florida State to sort of sort of show off on the national stage more often. So, you know, they've got three six and one teams over in the coastal this year, but I don't know how much respect anybody's giving Pitt or UNC or Duke because um, you know, with the exception of Duke to some extent, this is they're all sort of newcomers. They haven't shown they can do it year in and year out. Um, so that's I think that's really the big thing is that when you're looking at other leagues they tend to have a consistent top four or five that, you know, allow for the national stage to be focused on that league multiple times throughout the year. For the ACC, in large part, it's been, hey, when do Clemson and Florida State play? And the rest of the year doesn't matter a whole lot. Well, is, is the difference between the ACC changing that narrative just really one or two teams? Uh, and, you know, it seems like the, the Big Ten or, you know, the, you know, Pac-12 or, or whoever, you know, goes through cycles where they only have one or two, you know, decent or, you know, great teams, college football playoff-worthy teams, you know, it, is it that the ACC is going to have to have four teams to be consistently great versus just the two that we have in Florida State and Clemson? Yeah, I mean, part of it with the, the Big Ten, for example, you know, all right, Michigan's been down for a while, but they're still Michigan, you know what I mean? So they've got a level of cachet that I think makes them an interesting story, whether they're good or bad. And the problem is bad ACC tends to be irrelevant football, not interesting football. And I think that helps, you know, that changes the narrative some. People, some people ignore, you know, what goes on with a lot of teams. I mean, look, North Carolina and Pittsburgh, you can't exactly say they've been terrible. They've been consistently six to seven win teams every year for the last, you know, more or less for the last decade. The problem is that they haven't taken that next leap up to become good enough to be interesting, and they don't necessarily have that cachet nationally to be bad and interesting. Um, and so, and you know, again, like the fact that Duke is probably the third team on that list behind Clemson and FSU as consistent winners right now is, I think, it's a great sign of where Duke football is, but it's also sort of a, a sign of where the the ACC is too. Is that a team that had been a national joke for the better part of 20 years is your third most consistent program right now. So um, I think that it's just it's a matter of being able to provide multiple showcase opportunities for the league that, that people aren't just saying that, you know, even though 2013 Florida State was as good a football team as you're ever going to see from start to finish in college football. And even they had to deal with the, oh, well, who, who have they played? And until the ACC can change that narrative, um, you know, it's going to kind of perpetuate itself. It's hard for even the elite teams to um, 
showcase how elite they actually are. Yeah, I mean, it, the I guess the the frustrating thing is is a longtime fan of a school that you know has not been at the you know height of the ACC's you know power structure for the last you know two decades or so is you know seeing you know NC State have good but not great teams come and go and then we'll have you know some down years you know our downs are not usually that far down and our highs are usually about you know eight wins or so um, but you know I, I I can see that there are you know good or you know at least decent football teams in this league but it feels like there's kind of a you know um, it's, it's almost like a uh, you know uh, chicken and egg scenario the the league needs for there to be more elite teams but the teams can't be considered elite because they keep getting dogged over you know yeah. their their schedule not being strong enough and you still i still see people parroting that same you know uh you know the narrative of well Clemson's just played a crap schedule well you know they haven't exactly played uh, uh you know much worse in terms of competitiveness schedule than some of the other teams that are getting a pass for being elite but there's just something about them being in the ACC that unfortunately, you know, drags them down from a perception standpoint, and it also kind of hurts other teams that are trying to be upwardly mobile in the league as well. Um, it's it's frustrating. It, it is very frustrating. Yeah. So. I mean, it's frustrating for me too because I feel like to some extent I, you know, I'm not I'm not a fan. Uh, I try to remain objective, but you know, my job is to be entrenched with these teams, so I have a, a vested interest in. In seeing at least the narrative be portrayed as objectively as possible, and I almost end up feeling like I'm trying to be a cheerleader sometimes by just pointing out the fact that that the narrative that a lot of people just kind of default to is not supported by very much evidence other than that's what we used to think five years ago, so we're still thinking it now. And um, you know, it's it's problematic, but um, you know, I do think that if if people take the time to dig into the, the realities of the ACC, that there's a lot there to, to support um, blowing up this narrative. And, and look, you know, are, are, are the bottom of the ACC, are they good teams this year? No, but neither is the bottom of the Big Ten or the Big right. 12, the Pac-12. Yeah. Yeah. Even the SEC, Missouri and Vandy. What bothers me the most is that people treat the difference between the SEC and the ACC like it's the difference between the ACC and the Sun Belt. And that's not the case. The SEC may well be the best league, but it is not so far ahead and shoulders ahead of the ACC that that we should be having these conversations about how a great team from the ACC can't actually be great because they're in the ACC. It doesn't make any sense if you look at recruiting rankings, if you look at non-conference records, if you look at bowl performances. The... the Numbers are not disparate enough to warrant the kind of narrative that has been created. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and and it it is it is tough. You almost kind of want to just do like they do when uh, the NCAA tournament season rolls around, and they just do the blind resume type thing. You want to mm-hmm. throw up a few blind resumes and just say, you know, which is Team A, which is Team B, um, and uh, you know, see which one's the ACC and the SEC. And you're right, just, there wouldn't be a huge amount of difference between some of the schools on the same tiers, you know, from league to league, a lot of them would compare, I think, pretty similarly. And then you have, like, the Memphis beat Ole Miss. I mean, Memphis is a good team, but Memphis beat Ole Miss, who beat Alabama, and Alabama's still seen as kind of, like, top of the totem pole of college football. You know, it obviously there's no transitive property, but that shows 
you know that these SEC teams aren't infallible. You know they they lose to some teams that they shouldn't lose to. Talking about recruiting rankings, I mean Memphis probably is like eighty something every year, and Ole Miss, you know, two years ago had one of the best classes ever assembled. Or three years ago, one of the best classes ever assembled. Um, you know, the ACC isn't the only conference that loses to, you know, to lackluster teams. I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, and really, largely, the ACC has avoided those ugly losses the mm-hmm. last few years. I mean, there haven't been a ton of them, uh, in, and that's not something you can say about every other league. And, and that's, I guess, really, that's where, when we start talking about narrative, I don't know at the end of the day that it's made a huge difference, because that, as, as much as that 2013 FSU team got dogged about its schedule, they still did win the national championship. You know what I mean? It didn't keep them out of that game. Um, that as much as, as FSU had to fight the, the battle last year to get into the playoff, they still made the playoff. But there is, I think, as you pointed out with Alabama and Ole Miss, there's a, a default setting that, that SEC teams get the benefit of the doubt and the ACC does not. So there's a ton of people questioning whether UNC is really that good or Pitt is really that good or Duke is really that good. But somehow Missouri, who really has not beaten <laughs> anybody uh, for three years running now, but has a couple of SEC East championships doesn't have to answer those same types of questions. Or or Alabama, they've played one top 25 team so far this year, and they lost to them. Mm-hmm. And that team now has two losses of its own. And and that game was at home for Alabama. And, you know, I'm not saying Alabama's not a great team. I think they very well may be. But the, the resume doesn't support the way that we still view them as, okay, they're still a top 10 team, a top 5 team. In some people's minds, the number one team. Um, that is just based on uh, a, a gut feeling and history. And I think, you know, especially these days in college football, history changes quickly. I mean, you, you, Ole Miss is such a great example because literally 10 years ago, Ole Miss was a laughing stock. They weren't great. They weren't good. They were, uh, you know, that the Egg Bowl was a terrible game every year. And yet just by the, the sheer fact that they play in the SEC – they're given a benefit of the doubt when they start to have a good season, whereas a team like North Carolina or Pittsburgh is not. Yeah, it it, it is. Uh, it's fast it, on many levels. It's fascinating to see what kind of uh, impact just simple, you know, conference affiliation and, and other you know non football factors have on the way that we perceive some of these teams. Um, David, I know you are a huge proponent of uh, a lot of advanced statistical analysis on you know football, and uh, I am too. I, I love it, and I kind of like to see the trend where it's heading. Where you you know you have guys like Bill Connolly and some other guys uh, like the folks at Football Outsiders who are doing you know what they can to kind of go deeper into the numbers and kind of get folks away from simply looking at you know total yards per game and and uh, some of these older i guess uh less in uh in-depth stats that we have been used to using when evaluating football teams um what i i guess you know for you know first of all what kind of attracted you to uh, digging more inside the numbers with that, what what attracts you towards um, you know looking a little bit more in depth in some of these numbers when it comes to evaluating football teams? Well, I actually came up like I grew up a huge baseball fan, so baseball was sort of my first love, and and mm-hmm. and that sport has been revolutionized, I think, by uh, advanced statistics, and so that was always just sort of uh, one of those things I had an interest in from from baseball, but it's harder to find a lot of that stuff in football. Um, so I kind of made it a point to, to try and dig those things up where, where I could and to, 
um, you know, use them as a resource. I mean, as a reporter, one of the things you kind of realize pretty early on is you're being lied to a lot, or at least not given the whole truth a lot. And so it's great to go and sit down and interview a coach, but sometimes you can't really take everything that they're saying at face value. And, and it's good to be able to go dig into the numbers and see whether the numbers support what's being said or, or, or contradicted or, or whatever. And then, you know, I, I've done that my whole career, but getting to ESPN, a place that has a lot of resource and resources and is heavily invested in, in digging into the deeper numbers. Uh, and our stats and information group does a fantastic job. Um, having those resources at my disposal, it's sort of, it would be dumb for me not to use it. So it's fun for me to be able to dig into it and, and find some of these trends and numbers uh, that can help tell a story better than just you know, co- quoting the coach or quoting the quarterback. And mm-hmm. um, I do think, though, that it's, uh, you know, and this is how it was in baseball, probably still is, but but particularly was, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago, that we as reporters need to be smart about educating fans about how these stats can be used and why they're helpful. And, you know, I've had, I've, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily going to get up on my soapbox and talk about how ESPN's FPI is the greatest thing in the world. I mean, I, I, I see some... The, some reasonable uh, critiques of it that fans have, but um, I, the arguments that I get into with people about it is is never about the quality of the output, but how the input goes about being created and, and how those stats should be used. And I think the problem that, that certainly a lot of old school baseball fans had in the early 2000s that you're seeing a lot with football fans now is they just don't understand these advanced metrics. And so I think it's important uh, as a as a reporter, uh, to be able to communicate with fans and, and be able to explain to them, look, FPI is not a ranking of how your team played so far. It is a predictive tool. It's about what's going to come next, not a ranking of what already happened. Just things like that that I think are very um, important for people to understand because, look, you don't have to like every advanced statistic. You don't have to like them at all. But if you're going to consume them or if you're not going to consume them, I think it's still smart to understand what they are. And, and I feel like that's sort of become a part of what my job responsibilities are. Yeah, and, and it's interesting to me because when, you know, you are, you know, discussing FPI and some of the other, you know, statistics out there on Twitter, um, we mentioned them before, but we'll bring them up again. FSU Twitter sometimes uh, likes to chime in and, and point out that that seems to be a stat that uh, it has – some inherent SEC bias, uh, and I know that uh, frustrates you just as much as it frustrates other, you know, adoptees of some of the advanced metric type stuff. Because, you know, at some point it's just simply numbers. I, you know, there's you you can't really there's there's well, first of all, ESPN doesn't have any real you know reason to build a metric that would slant to or you know favoring the SEC for one, and even if they did somehow come up with a formula that you know, help the SEC in 2015, it may, you know, counterbalance itself in 2016 and completely, you know, you know, put all the uh, SEC teams near the bottom of the ranks. So trying to, it, it's one of those fun uh, conspiracy <laughs> things that I see pop up where it's, you know, oh, you know, ESPN's in the tank for SEC and this FPI stuff supports that theory. Well, it's pretty hard to make that argument. And uh, it, it's, you. I think you do a good job of, while I'm sure you're probably yanking your hair out seeing some of these tweets come across your timeline, uh, you are doing your part to try to educate the folks out there that you know it's 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 not anything that really has an inherent bias to it. It's it's just numbers. It's just a different way of looking at the game. 
Yeah, I wish I, I wish people understood how boring all of this stuff actually is. That the, that the people who think that there's this great conspiracy going on and we have these secret meetings about what we need to talk about and how to how to jury rig numbers to make them support a conference. I, I wish it was half that interesting. It's really not, but but you get to see these. You know, you get to know the people who are working in our like our stats and information department who put tireless hours of research and time into trying to make those metrics as accurate as possible um, in you know, I, I want to be supportive of them because I know I know there's no agenda on their part other than to try and do the best job that they possibly can and um, look nobody when the, when the the number one FPI team loses to the number 50 FPI team no one feels worse about that than the people who created the statistic because they want it to be accurate you know there's no benefit to them when if people are just sort of pointing and laughing at that that statistic you know there's and and any benefit that even if there was as you said if there was some conspiracy to try to trump up the sec it doesn't it doesn't work if the statistic that you're using to do that is proven wrong so often you know the goal that they have is to have have a number that is is representative of what actually happens on the field and i think they do a really good job of trying to to get that and if anybody had a perfect metric at this point they'd be They'd be doing quite well for themselves, but yeah. it's, that's, that's sort of the fun of the numbers of college football too. Is it unlike baseball? I think it's much more nuanced and much more difficult to try and formulate a lot of these numbers that perfectly explain things because um, there's just you know there's so many more interdependencies from uh, one aspect of the game to the other to the other that that it's really hard to sort of to sift through all of those variables and and come up with a number that actually means something. <laughs> yeah, and. You know, unfortunately, since all the numbers are kind of, you know, intertwined and dependent upon results and and you know things that take place in games prior to that point, it takes a little while for some of these numbers to kind of correct themselves out over the course of the season. So, you know, it, it I'm looking at the FPI rankings right now, and there's only one team I see in the well, there's two actually uh, in the top ten of the FPI from the SEC, and that would be Alabama and Ole Miss is still at number ten. So. You know, uh, or I'm sorry, LSU is there at number seven, so that's three teams. But you know, you're you've got three Big Twelve teams at the top. It, you know, if if anybody had a conspiracy, it would be that this you know the FPI favors the Big Twelve more than it does any other league. Um, but as time goes on, things kind of sort themselves out, and and like you said, every uh, if, if there was a magic bullet formula that you know just was able to perfectly predict every game. And uh, could you know tell the complete story? Then that person would be able to just print their own money at this point. So, um, it's uh, if nothing else, it's certainly a, a fun discussion point. Um, given your role with ESPN, I know obviously it's kind of tough for you to see each and every game every week, and I know that you probably try to do the best that you can. But uh, did you get an opportunity to see State's game against Wake Forest? Uh, I'm hoping you only saw the first quarter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I did see a good bit of the uh, of the game, including the first quarter. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, look, if you're state, that's you know, you needed to come out firing on all cylinders, and, and they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still look at this team, and I have a lot of questions, and I think certainly Saturday's game against Clemson will help to answer some of those questions because uh, one thing you know, one thing I think we can say pretty accurately is that NC State can really put up some points and really look good against teams they are clearly more talented than. Mm-hmm. But when they go up against a team where the talent level is not 
so disparate or is disparate in the other direction, uh, they have really struggled. And, and that's, you know, that's sort of the tipping point for this program to me right now is, all right, that's great. You can go out there and have a first quarter against Wake Forest that looks like that. But, you know, what, what happens when you're playing uh, teams where the talent is everybody's good as yours? Because they have not beaten uh, a Power 5 team with a winning record under Dave Doran. And I think that's, you know, th- that's a number that's going to be held over Doran's head and the, the program's head until that changes. It, right. It's kind of funny because it's kind of the opposite of Tom O'Brien. O'Brien, right. you know, he would lose this, like, you know, what in the world are you doing in this game? But he'd go out and beat, well, he beat Florida State twice at least, Clemson and... You know, it, it was that that was his downfall, and now I mean, if you know Dor- the way Doran's recruiting, you know, if he continues to recruit pretty well, he wins seven eight games, but that's what got Tom O'Brien fired. Um, so it's right. kind of funny to have the reverse problem end in the same result. <laughs> yeah, well, and I do think that what Dave Doran is doing, and you know, I think it's a building project there. And, uh, he has not, you know, gone on record bashing Tom O'Brien or anything like that. But if you talk to him privately, he's happy to tell you that. I inherited a pretty empty cupboard here. <laughs> yeah. I think people don't people don't really appreciate how much work needed to go into getting this program uh, even to where it is right now. And and it is really, I mean, year one was you know the 2013 season was effectively erasing the blackboard. There was it was about you know changing the culture and and trying to bring in some guys who could help, trying to build some depth. This is really effectively year two of a building project and i think the mm-hmm. pro the, the the progress that's been made through two you know a year and a half really of doing that has been really good uh it's just that they're not where fans want them to be yet but i do think you know if i'm an nc state fan I'm, and i'm looking at a seven or eight win season uh with this team versus a seven or eight win season with that 2012 team i'd much rather take this one uh, mm-hmm. that, that you see where the progress is rather than just being frustrated by the lack of results. Yeah, I think you make a great point because the 2012 team, I, I think we all kind of saw that it was topped out. And this team, I mean, really, two, you know, the last two classes have been what is going to make or break Dave Doran. Um, two top, you know, 30, top 35 classes. You know, if, if you finish eight and five, nine and four, something like that every season, you're going to be fine. Um, you know, Brissett's a good quarterback, and, and you think you know why you know you should be able to win a lot of games with him, but really, the you know most of these guys are freshmen and sophomores. He's got a couple decent juniors, but um, I think I think two years out is really going to be the hey, where's this program headed long term with Doran? Yeah. yeah, and I mean it's you know it's funny because uh, there was always sort of that you know the Notre Dame principle of you had to give a guy five years. Five years mm-hmm. was the bare minimum to see if a coach could get the job done, and and I feel like that that has shrunk down a good bit for a lot of coaches. Our, our level of patience is, uh, as fans has, has shrunk quite a bit. Um, but it's, I mean, it's still sort of the realistic standard. It should be, you gotta, you know, I think at some point you realize, all right, this isn't working. Uh, and it might be four years, it might be six years, but to try and say, Hey, this isn't working after two years, you know, like uh, all the talk around, around Charlie strong at Texas earlier this year, I was like, man, the guy just got here. He had <laughs> yeah. to take a bunch of guys out of the program who were complete problems. Uh, and so he's thin everywhere. He's playing in a good league against really good teams. Like, like this is just how it works sometimes. And, and you gotta be able to, you know, again, like the, like the 2013 season, you gotta have a time to erase the blackboard and start uh, building a battle plan from scratch again. And that just doesn't happen overnight. I know, as fans, that's very difficult, but 
Uh, you know, if I'm an NC State fan right now, I'm looking at a lot of these guys and saying, boy, it's fun to watch them, even if we're not necessarily uh, winning every game I wish we would win. There's a lot of guys on that roster that are fun to watch, and I think that's something to be excited and enthusiastic about that was not necessarily the case uh, before Dave Dorn got there. Yeah, and, and you know the fact that we have so many freshmen and sophomores that are filling the two deep on both sides of the ball does speak further to the fact that uh, it was there was a lot of catching up that needed to be done, you know, to get this team to where it needed to be, you know, depth wise, um, you know, for not just NC State but for just about a lot of the other, you know, ACC football programs that are trying to make that leap forward. It's not necessarily about you know you're starting eleven on each side. It's you know the the eleven guys behind them. You know what kind of depth do you have? And you know state's still working towards that goal. And um, yeah, I mean I, I you know I, I still think there's a lot of you know reason for optimism. Uh, and, and I know that there have been moments that have been frustrating this season as well. Um, but um, yeah, I mean it was exciting to see state jump all over Wake Forest and put up twenty eight quick. Um, I do think it's fair to be a little bit frustrated that you know they were they they kind of lifted their foot on the accelerator a bit um, when you and I don't know if that's a player thing if that's a coach's thing maybe that's two you know both both elements of that are, are kind of like wow this game is already put away um, I, I you know I don't know it seemed like at points you know there even in the first half they were kind of trying some things out they were going for it on you know fourth and medium fourth and long when they probably would not have if they didn't have the kind of lead that they did early in the game. Um, but, you know, uh, I don't know. It, it's uh, I, I think uh, there's a lot to be excited about with this team still, um, you know, uh, but it's it's kind of a mixed bag. I do think there are also some things that uh, it's, it's fair to be, you know, um, critical of to a certain degree about uh you know like jacoby's performance still struggling to you know hit some of those downfield passes he had a great yeah. one mm-hmm. when in the in the first quarter when he you know escaped the sack and i mean that was that's a right. highlight reel. that's a, that's a tough throw rolling yeah. to your right throwing kind of out into space and i mean he hit him perfectly mm-hmm. in stride right on the hines well on the on deep left so he, yeah and then he can hit him yeah but he's still you know there were other uh, attempts where he just missed a guy right. by you know five yards. So, and, and Jacoby's really sort of become uh, like a mirror of the program. I think <laughs> he, he he has avoided catastrophe. He's a guy who has who who makes all the plays you need him to make to stay competitive. But then when you kind of look for a guy and a guy who is essentially your offense is built around and say, hey, you need to go out and do something ridiculous here to to win this game for us he hasn't really been that guy or mm-hmm. he showed some glimpses of it but hasn't been able to do it consistently and I, and really i think that's that's sort of the story of nc state at this point is it's a team that that wins the games it's supposed to win and makes the plays they're supposed to make but to really get to that level you need to turn that up an extra notch and and we haven't been able to see that consistently from them yet yeah well, if they could win this weekend against Clemson, that would certainly be winning the, the one of the games that they were not supposed to win, um, uh, to, to put it mildly. Um, Clemson is just on an absolute tear right now. I mean, we talked about statistics earlier. Just about every statistical rank uh, that you see has Clemson at or near the top of it. Uh, I think, actually, Clemson is, what, are they fourth or fifth in the FPI? Uh Let's see. Actually, another eighth. Come they're eight, on. eighth in the FPI, but they are two. On. I think they're in our <laughs> strength of record, and they're one in game control. And uh, the football outsiders have them ranked one, I think, across the board too. So 
Um, they're doing pretty well in most metrics, I guess. Yeah. Maybe our SEC bias or big bias <laughs> <SEC laughs> is, is causing some problems. Right. But you're right. They're very good. They're very, very good. And they absolutely demolished. They fired a guy pretty much this weekend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh, think there's some Miami fans that were were big fans of Clemson on Saturday <laughs> for finally ripping the Band-Aid off there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess for Miami, that's what it finally took is for a team to drop nearly a sixty spot on them to uh, to get it done. It's kind of funny because Clemson took a lot of kids from the Miami and Southern Florida area, and mm-hmm. then they turn yeah. right around and you know basically lay that <laughs> yeah whatever you want to call it down on them. So I guess, David, if you're putting together a game plan for this weekend for NC State, uh, it's a daunting task, but where would you start? (laughs) There's there's not, as you said, there's not a lot of good answers because Clemson does virtually everything well. So they play the number one defense in the country in Boston College, and I know people kind of shrug off BC. That defense is legitimately good and threw for 420 yards against them. (laughs) Then they go down to Miami and run for 416 yards against the Hurricanes. And on top of all that, they have a defense that's number one in the country in defensive efficiency. So you've got a team that can beat you with the passing game, beat you with the running game, and stop you on defense uh, as good as anybody in the country. I I don't know how you put a game plan together for that. And I think this team reminds me very much of the 2013 Florida State team. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the things that I think wasn't talked about a lot with that 2013 FSU team because Jameis Winston stole all those headlines as the new face on the of the team, but they had a defense that was loaded mm-hmm. with seniors who had s- tasted a lot of success, but also felt the sting of some really bad losses, including that 2012 game at <laughs> NC State. Yeah, and I had a good conversation with Davo Sweeney just today in which he was talking about how many players he has on his team that know the effort that it takes to win but have tasted just enough failure to still be angry about it and what a good formula that is. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I had thought that all throughout 2013 with FSU that, that their big advantage was that they knew how thin the margin was for them to lose no matter how much they were beating guys by. And that's a lot of what I am reminded of that often with this Clemson team this year is that they really don't seem to be taking anything for granted. And, you know, we can try and, uh, you know, with that Miami game was a perfect example is, uh, you know, you could come around with all kinds, this long list of, uh, well, you know, they haven't really been on the road yet. The one road game that they played was at Louisville and it was close. And, hey, Brad Kai is going to be the best quarterback they've faced by a long shot this year. And so this long list of reasons why, hey, maybe Clemson won't won't play that well at Miami. And then they go out and blow the doors off of the Hurricanes and get their coach fired. So yeah. that's sort of where you are with Clemson right now. I could give you a handful of reasons that maybe NC State has a chance. But if you want me to, to be completely bluntly honest with you, I just don't see how they win this game because Clemson is just so dangerous in so many ways, and they're not a team that is taking their foot off the gas at all. Yeah, it. I was uh, surprised when I saw the line today released, where at least it opened up at, I think, 9.5-point mm-hmm. favorite. I was like, wow, uh, that seems <laughs> really low. It's like the twenty point Carter Finley advantage or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not a night game, so I don't know where uh, where that's coming from. Um, It'll yeah. be dark by the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Be, it, half of so half the first of three quarters will be terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just hang on until the half half time. Um, yeah, it does feel like a, uh, a team with a purpose, um, and you know they. Uh, the the re- remarkable thing is that you know they lost a lot of guys you know from that defense last year, 
And, you know, you talk about teams that are able to reload, and there's not many of them in college football that can do that. But, man, Clemson certainly has. Mm -hmm. And they are just destroying people. Um, And you're right, that Boston College defense doesn't get probably as much credit as it deserves, probably because the Boston College offense stinks (laughs) as bad as it does. Um, But, but yeah, that that was not an insignificant uh, accomplishment that they, you know, dropped on them. and, And to do what they did to Miami was just brutal. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that if if you grabbed a hundred state fans, you might get two or three that said, you know, that they uh, that state has it. Uh, Those you know, people wouldn't be... bet money on it. Though. <laughs> yeah, they probably. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, they. They'll, they'll talk a game, but uh, they'll open up their wallets, and I think that people would be a little uh, a little less likely. Yeah, right. yeah. So it, it's um, you know, I, I, I like any delusional state fan. You know, I, I, I'm going to have hope until Clemson beats it out of us. But uh, <laughs> if I had to, you know, um, pick a winner in that game, it, it definitely would be Clemson. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I for I guess the ACC's sake. And, and this was actually one of the things I was going to mention to you as well, that State kind of finds itself, as I'm sure every other ACC opponent from here on out will find itself in, is, you know, we're in the position of wanting to win this game, but also realizing that for the ACC's perception as a whole, whether or not that means a hill of beans to you as an NC State fan or other <laughs> fan, um, you know, uh, it, it certainly would be damaging to the ACC as a whole if State were to win that game because it would eliminate the conference's best chance at a football playoff hope um but um you know we we like to play that role though we yeah can't we, beat the terrible teams and then yeah. beat the one team that the whole conference is waiting for <laughs> right right yeah i think kirk herbstreet dropped name dropped us one time as uh the team that you can't lose to or whatever you can't be losing to the nc states of the world oh like, yeah oh, thanks kirk that. appreciate that that's one of those ones where you're, where you're mad but you're still kind of like all right yeah, at least we're getting I, some respect maybe <laughs> like someone remembers we won a game at least yeah somebody remembers us as the team that screwed everything up <laughs> um yeah, it, so it, there is a little bit of an interesting duality there between uh, you know wanting the ACC to have maybe another legit national title hopeful, but uh, to do that would mean State would have to lose this game. I don't think there's going to be too many State fans that are heartbroken if we lose this game. They'll they'll understand certainly that Clemson is one of the best teams in the country coming into it, and um, you know I, I I think State's got a you know a puncher's chance, but uh, I don't know that we could go much further than that. So. Uh, Two things about that too is that that number one, um, you know, I I had a little bit of a run in with with uh, Davos Sweeney. <laughs> you you beat James, James to the punch. Now. <laughs> you don't say. And his argument about that, and I think he's completely justified, is that sometimes you lose games you're not supposed to lose. Every mm-hmm. team does it, mm-hmm. and so I think if NC State wins this game, I don't think it is this damning indictment of Clemson. It is probably much more that. Uh, it's hard to win week in and week out, and NC State has a ton of talent too, and is recruiting good players too, and probably played its best game while Clemson played its worst game. That that's essentially the scenario that has to occur. Right. And but it's on the road. It's the, it means that Clemson's terrible if they lose to NC State, and I think that's sort of the problem is that particularly in the ACC, you know, if an if an SEC team loses to South Carolina or Kentucky. Uh, there's not this, oh, look at how terrible they are. At, at the ACC, it's like if you lose to a middle-of-the-pack ACC team, all of a sudden you're, you're not any good anymore. And I, I just think that's a, a silly way to look at it because NC State's not a bad team. They're just not quite at Clemson's level yet. But if they play their best game and Clemson doesn't play its best game, 
uh, it's not a complete mismatch by any stretch of the imagination. Right. And, and you mentioned it, uh, and, and Matt was correct. You did beat me to the punch on it because I did want to bring it up. But uh, you did find yourself on the business end of uh, Adabo Swinney. Uh, uh, meltdown's not fair. One, one he, of the great rants. It was. It was. It was a good rant. But you had you had uh, mentioned the word Clemsoning, and, and uh, I, I think you you did everything you could when you presented the question to him to uh, stave off uh, the rant, but. Uh, you know, was that after a, a game, or was that uh, was that after? Yeah, it was, it was after the Georgia Tech game and the post game okay. press conference, right? And you know what? So what people don't really see is that the Dabo's press conference comes at the end of of all the other stuff. So I had been talking to players outside the locker room. I had talked with with Brent Venables and and Tony Elliott, the Elliott, the the coordinators. Um, several players had sort of alluded to without saying the word specifically but had alluded to you know everybody thinks we're going to lose these games and you know they were coming off what is probably the biggest regular season win that Clemson has ever had under Dabo Sweeney in that game against Notre Dame and they came out the next week and put a beat down on a pretty good Georgia Tech team Mm -hmm. uh, that is you know for for as bad as Georgia Tech's record is it's not a team that's easy to go out and thump Uh, Mm -hmm. so you know to me it seemed like a very obvious question that no team in the country has had to hear about this more than Clemson. The word was named for them. <laughs> right. Uh, but I think at some point it becomes an advantage to them. It's, it, 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 they're more aware of it than anyone because we've, made, we've constantly reminded them of it. So that was sort of the question I was trying to get at. And I'd already right. talked to several other players and coaches who had discussed it quite cal- calmly and reasonably. <laughs> Dabo, on the other hand, had other ideas about how to, how to follow up on that. And I, I will say this as a reporter – the one thing you want is an honest, genuine, emotional answer from people, and I definitively got that. <laughs> he he was waiting for that. He was just sitting and like I dare somebody. He's probably been waiting a year for that thing. Yeah, it um and and you were catching him at the end of a of a of a good win for them, uh, and I'm sure you know maybe to outsiders it, the win over Georgia Tech didn't seem like it was that big of a deal, especially since Georgia Tech had been struggling coming into that uh, game. So. Um, I'm sure he was amped up and uh, was excited, genuinely excited about the fact that they had gotten that victory. Um, and and yeah, it um, it it uh, you you're right. If you were looking for an, an emotional and heartfelt answer from Dabo, uh, you got it. Um, and uh, I don't know it. it uh, I don't know that it quite ranks up there with the uh, the I'm, I'm a man I'm forty uh, Mike Gundy rant <laughs> or the playoffs <laughs> yeah that the, the Jim Moore playoffs <laughs> um, Mike Gundy's Mike Gundy's had a higher high point but Dabo's was, was had lasted longer so yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how you categorize that necessarily but yeah it, uh, Dabo's had way more bullcrap uh, <laughs> quality of words he made up for it a quantity of words. Uh, the, the way he delivered the word bullcrap like three times was just, it was incredible. I love it because it, it just felt very much like, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've heard that word delivered with that same accent uh, many times in my life. I, I'm curious, David, have, familiarity you, have, you, to it. have you watched the video of it or is that something uh, that you live in the moment? Yeah, do you have PTSD? Uh, I, would, I, I have tried to avoid, first, I hate uh, having to hear myself ask questions in the first place because I'm fairly certain I'm terrible at it. Uh, like Even like listening to like, transcribing interviews and going back, I, I try to fast forward through my questions because I don't want to actually have to hear myself talk. But uh, I did a radio, I did a radio interview with a couple of my friends who have a show here in Charlotte, and uh, 
they without telling me the intro was just playback of the first part of that of that rant uh, for me that week. So I, I got stuck listening to it while doing a radio interview anyway. So. Uh, I had to deal with it uh, and be thrown back into it. But it was not my favorite, I will say that. <laughs> you shouldn't have to see the finger quotes going yeah. on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to see the, the, the Clemson in, in finger quotations was incredible. Uh, well, uh, it sounds like you're good sport about it. It sounds like obviously you, you and Dabo have spoken since. Uh, yes, we're, uh, we're all good. Yes. Uh, the, I, I think I may get a Christmas card now. We'll see. <laughs> It would be awesome if the, cl- if the card was just Clemsoning on the front of the card. Uh, Christmasing. It'll just be the scoreboard from after the game. Yeah. It'll just be a list of all the top 25 teams they've beaten yeah, since Yeah, if they're like 12-0 or something, just the schedule with the wins on it. Uh, with signed bullcrap. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, David, uh, I understand that you will be in town here uh, at some point this week. We do hope you can swing on down to Medios. I, I hate that we couldn't have you here, but uh, I do hope that you'll get an opportunity to swing by the restaurant and uh, you know take in uh, a dish, maybe some lasagna or a calzone or, or their, their pizza. Uh, you, you definitely need to swing by. You can uh, see where the magic happens here on the Riddick and Reels podcast. Uh, it's not quite MTV Cribs level. But. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's a fun place to be, definitely, if you've never been. So I, I highly recommend it. Awesome. Uh, I will, I'm a sucker for some Italian food anyway, so that'll work out. Wonderful. Uh, well, uh, let's take a break here on the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. Me and Matt will uh, maybe discuss a couple more things on the weight game and the Clemson game and then wrap up things here on the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. David, thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. At Amedios, the atmosphere is just as important as the great food. I'm quite the football fan, and coming to Amedios, I'm amazed of the amount of pictures here of past football players that attended NC State that are normally now have been in the NFL or are presently in the NFL. It makes me want to look at every single picture to see if I can recognize somebody or something from years gone by. Just a great place uh, with all the NC State history. I mean, you got the banners from Reynolds, all the uh, pictures from Every era of NC State athletics, football, basketball, just tremendous history represented in the place. Amedios, great food and great atmosphere. All right, welcome back to the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. We are going to uh, just briefly kind of wrap things up uh, discussing the uh, the Wake Forest game. Uh, so the streak is over, Matt. Uh, yeah. You know, we don't have to hear about that or listen to me talk about it for the next year yeah, or so. Yeah, James. Or, uh, or Goodson, because Lord knows <laughs> you don't hear enough of it from him. But. Yeah, it's, um, it was, you know, it's just one of those, um, statistical anomalies, you know, mm-hmm. uh, eventually, you know, you'll, you'll lose to a team, I guess, you know, in their place, um, over a, a stretch of time. Uh, usually it's a, Dominant. Team. Yeah, I mean, granted, they you know they had a couple really good years, but well, and that I guess that's kind of the the thing that made it you know kind of unique was the fact that it was um, a team that we didn't really have much trouble beating when we were playing them at home. Right. We were you know struggling with them on mm. the road, and uh, you know um, so it, the the streak is over. Um, Vegas knew what they were talking about when they you know released the the double digit line there. Um, it, it was frustrating. Um, 
you know, I, I do wish we were a team that could go up twenty eight quick and then keep the hammer down. Pull a Clemson against Miami. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Just keep pace with uh, embarrass Clemson. somebody. You know? Yeah, just just absolutely yeah, <laughs> humiliate them. And I mean, you go back and you look at the numbers from that game, and I mean, it wasn't like State, you know, really. Uh, you know, gave Wake Forest a tremendous, you know, number of opportunities. I mean, they held them yeah, to the, the game was never in doubt. I mean, they kept them to under 300 yards total. Uh, uh, you know, 4.1 yards uh, per pass. I mean, you know, their passing defense was pretty good. I mean, um, Hinton came in, I guess, and, and he was a, did a some spark. different things. Yeah, he did some things with his legs that you know made it a little bit more difficult for State to uh, you know stay in front of him. Um, you know, uh, uh, but. You know, we look at, um, you know, I don't know if it's play calling, if it's Jacoby. There were there were some things. I mean, uh, I saw the vine that uh, Moose posted of Jacoby. <laughs> Trowel just standing in yeah, the end zone. just completely uncovered. They, they never even covered him at the start. Yeah. That was the that, thing. Yeah. It's it, like you at least do your check downs at the line. Right. If you if you, if Jacoby had come to the line and just simply looked to the left and yeah. not seen anybody within 20 <laughs> yards of Trowel. I mean, it would have been just a simple. I mean, he wouldn't have even had to check out of the play. He would just simply would have yeah. snapped the ball and tossed just it to him. Yeah, and just yelled "mo" and just throw it up there. Right, right. Um, didn't happen. Um, I. It, it's interesting uh, because I, you know, I look back at the the final season for you know the three quarterbacks that State has in the NFL: Philip Rivers, uh, Russell, and Mike Glennon. And I think in each three of those years, you know, we we as a team felt like the team was going to go to that mm-hmm. next level. You know, uh, Phillips' junior year was the year that we beat Notre Dame in the Gator Bowl. That was the 11-3 and three year, right? Right, right. Yeah. We felt like, you know, 03 was going to be the year where it was just everything comes together and, you know, we're just dominant. And then we, of course, lose in our second game of the year to Wake Forest. <laughs> um, play play a great game against Ohio State in the horseshoe. Yeah, but end up, Yeah, you know, but end up losing that game. And I think we ended up going maybe 8-5 and five that year, maybe. So, I think that's right. Which was not bad. And Phillip had a great year statistically. He put up some just absolutely ridiculous numbers. But the team as a whole didn't, you know, uh, didn't perform to the level that I guess we assumed mm-hmm. based on the way they did the year before. Uh, you know, kind of the same thing with Russell and with Mike Glennon. I mean, Glennon's year, his his senior year, you know, he played so well in his first season. I think we all felt like the team was going to take that next step forward. And, of course, that ultimately ended up being Tom O'Brien's last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how Russell's uh, quote-unquote senior year, uh, his final year, uh, he graduated, mm-hmm. but he was his redshirt junior year, his third year in the program. Um, it, it. I don't think it ended up. Uh, Wasn't that the nine and four year where they finished twenty fifth? I'm. I'm trying to recall. So I'm pretty sure State went five and seven, six and seven, nine and four with him. Yeah. But maybe, maybe the unusual thing with that was that we wondered if Russell would actually come back the next year, and yeah, uh, instead of it being you know the the year where State takes that next step forward, there's right. just no Russell Wilson. Um, <laughs> So uh, Wisconsin took the big step forward. Yeah, uh, yeah, they did. Eleven wins or something like that. Yeah. So you know you have Jacoby this year, and and again things aren't quite panning out quite like we maybe assumed they would, especially the way last year ended right. with the big win against UCF. It, and, and it's not far off. I mean, I really was hoping six and one. I'd be pretty happy with. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, you know, we were all hoping seven and zero with Louisville being a little bit down and Virginia Tech not being what they used to be, but. You know, to be three and zero in the ACC would be a little bit 
it would be elevated hopes, you know. Yeah. Six and one, I think, was reasonable, uh, you know, hope. Five and two was probably okay. Like David right. said, we beat the teams we're supposed to beat. Yeah. Big deal. But, uh, you know, they're not behind, but they're not really ahead. They're just kind of pacing for another kind of decent state season where right. seven, eight wins. And so is that part of the frustration is the fact that, you know, we had hoped – we had high hopes and, and we're, mm-hmm. you know, the dark horse team to maybe surprise in the Atlantic and things are just kind of trending as they probably would have in, it, in under normal circumstances? It is, um, but it's like – kind of like David said, it's just kind of – it kind of ends up being how, how it is. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to – put into words but you you know it's only his Doran's third year like he said it's yeah. not his fourth not his fifth um the hope is you know with a senior quarterback that has played mm-hmm. hopes are always going to be higher right um but there's you know 21 other players that are starting um you know special teams you got so many variables injury you know states knock on wood been lucky with injuries for the most part mm-hmm. um you know I, th- I think looking back like that's part of the reason why it's a little frustrating is you know they've had nothing too too crazy happen. I mean we don't know what's up with Fernandez other than it's a sprained ankle, but like he could still be out for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. But you know looking back, it's not like you know the one offensive lineman's been hurt. Um, you know like a fourth or fifth fifth receiver has been out for the season, but nothing crazy. I think that's part of the frustration. Um, yeah. But we're still looking at you know this, these seniors and redshirt seniors outside of Jacoby and maybe one or two other junior college guys are. You know Tom O'Brien's last two recruiting classes, which weren't any good, to yeah. be bluntly honest. Um, you know the best players on this team are still sophomores, freshmen, maybe one or two juniors. Um, well, five, seven, seven or eight wins isn't the worst end of the world. It's just what we're used to, right? Well, then maybe let's confine it to just Jacoby. Is Jacoby further ahead now than he was at this point last year? Do you think? Looking strictly at the first seven games of the season. Probably, I, probably. I I don't know. I'm inclined it, to vote no. It's about the same. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's hard to tell because this year's been so conservative. Um, mm-hmm. it, last year at the end of the season, it seems like he was unleashed, and I'm trying to block that part out of my mind because that's easy to remember. Is mm-hmm. you know winning four your last five. That's that's what you think about. You yeah. try not to think about the bad things. Stats wise, I think he had one or two more picks, but I think he had a few more yards. Um, you know, he didn't really run until the end of the year last year. I don't think he's, I, as I was saying in between um, the two sessions of the podcast, I, he's lost a step in his running. Mm-hmm. He's still, you know, got the same, as we saw against Wake Forest, ability to avoid tackles. But, I mean, to be honest, that first that first touchdown, he just completely missed an ob- a pretty obvious blitz. He just mm-hmm. made a great play to get out of it. Yeah. Um, it seems like something's a little off. Yeah, he's not. I mean, he's what got eight touchdowns, one interception, or something. It's not like he's, yeah, you know, playing terribly. He's just not taking the next step to you know Heisman dark horse that people were throwing yeah. out there. And maybe that's my perception clouding things. Is that maybe he is actually ahead of where he was last year? But I'm, I'm projecting where the amount of development that would have taken place during the off season. Right. And coming up in the first seven games of this uh, season for him to be at a at a next level. And, and um, keep in mind, last year was also a little bit of a newness factor. Last the mm-hmm. year before, we had Pete Thomas and Brandon Mitchell, and nothing against them, but you know Jacoby was bet- way better than them. Like by default, he was a way mm-hmm. better option to have. So you know, 
seeing seeing that much improvement from one year to the next just in the program and then expecting to see it again i think was <laughs> yeah you know from that year to this year um is high expectations you just have to try to look at it in a vacuum um but i think he's like i said he's probably doing better but it's it's really hard to tell yeah you'd have to ask the coaches to be honest <laughs> well i mean I, if you start asking questions like well okay would you rather swap jacoby out for you know quarterback x quarterback y you know from yeah. different teams and then that point that, you're just yeah i mean there aren't nitpicking. many yeah there aren't many quarterbacks uh in the league that i you know outside of deshaun watson and, and yeah you know, just next others. level guys that, i mean it's it'd be impossible to ask somebody to be deshaun watson unless they were you know yeah yeah so it's um you know it, it's uh i guess i have to kind of wrestle with my own um perceived you know jump that Jacoby was going to take going from you know last year to this year, yeah, and just kind of examine things as they are, and just you know maybe this team will have a similar you know closeout mm. to the end of this year Which like they did have would be impressive considering the team's coming on the schedule, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean it's not out of the question. We've seen State do it before. I mean we haven't seen Dorn win a quote big game yet. You know probably mm-hmm. the biggest game in his tenure was Louisville and Virginia Tech this year and you know both law either one would have been kind of a program changing win in a way mm-hmm. um you know maybe not a game not like beating Clemson but those were the most important games to show you've taken a step forward mm-hmm. um but if you know if they finish 3 and 2 at this point you know that's that's a really good season 8 and 4 yeah you know against two top 15 teams on your schedule yeah that'd be a good a good season. It can happen. Jacoby's just got to do well. Everyone, everyone's got to do well. It's not all, not all on him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the streak is over. Thankfully, um, the next streak up, I guess, would be Boston College. Uh, State has yet to win there in Chestnut Hill, so uh, maybe we can break that curse this year as well. Uh, and Clemson, I, you know, I don't know that there's a whole it's, lot more that we can say. It's show up, be loud, and hope for the best. I mean, that's really yeah. what we did when we beat Hold Florida State and Clemson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's and it might literally be to take uh, Larry Fedora's um, quote. You may don't get up to go to the bathroom. You may miss a touchdown. <laughs> I don't know which team it's going to be, but yeah. I, I can give you a decent guess. But yeah, um, I mean, the the state players know how important this game is. They're pumped. They're being mm-hmm. told, "Hey, you guys are going to get destroyed." Yeah. So I mean, they could get destroyed, but they also could come out and play their best game of the season. It's it's hard to tell. Um, I think State's going to really have to just hit big plays. I mean, it sounds easy enough to yeah. say, but it's going to have to be something in special teams. Going to have absolutely have to create turnovers. You are not going to beat that team without forcing some fumbles or maybe even if it's lucky, even yeah. if it's just lucky bounces or something. That's how you beat those teams. On paper, Clemson's better in every category. Yeah, but um, just hit some big plays, med- intermediate to big plays. Don't run any of those toss sweep things because. They have better athletes. They're going to beat you to the edge probably 90% of the time. Just yeah. just go deep. Try to get some pass interferences, get some big plays, what, whatever you have to do. Just, just go play, for it. Yeah, play loose. Yeah. Play loose and see what happens. So, And it's Halloween, and who knows, maybe there will be a full moon or some other you know weird <laughs> shit going on that can kind of <laughs> work in our favor. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I guess that will pretty much do it for this week's episode of the Ritter Rails podcast. For Matt Purdy, this is James Kroll saying so long, and thank you again for listening. You ready, JT? I can't wait till I get you on the floor, good looking. Hey, going hot so hot, just like an oven. And I'll burn my 
long as I got my suit and tie I'ma leave it all on the floor tonight And it got fixed up to the nines Let me show you a good thing All dressed up in black and white And you're dressed in that dress I like Love is swinging in the air tonight Let me show you a good thing Let me show you a good Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.